0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek service tonight. I sure just want to take a moment to tell you thank you for, for tuning in. And I want to say how thankful I am to our church members who have been faithfully uh, tuning in and being engaged with each other uh, so much the last few weeks. And uh, who knows how much longer this will go. Um, All trends are pointing to a lengthier uh, time where we're having to do this, and especially with the numbers in Sioux Falls, the way that they have been going, especially this week. Uh, But I'm thankful for God's people being faithful however they can. I also love to see the pictures and uh, the connection and the engagement with each other. Those interactions are very important right now. And I also personally can't tell you how thankful I am to those that give me direct feedback after the services. Uh, it, I, love, I love that uh, you're, you're sensitive to that and that you're uh, just the thoughtfulness of that. It really does mean a lot to this pastor, especially when you don't. Um, You get much uh, response here and I love the ones that are here. We've got a few in the room every service Uh, There's only so much response they can give and I really do just want to say thank you to those uh, that are doing that I have one that uh, during the messages he says he texts Amen every time that he would he would say amen in the service, so I've enjoyed it It's been a a help and blessing. I just want to thank you for being considerate um, to to just the the feedback to me as well And I just want to also give you a quick report, Easter was different, of course, it was online and we had a blizzard, so uh, who who knew that was going to be coming, but I do believe God blessed our efforts, we had good service engagement, we had a number of people view uh, the video and we all, even though, I just want to tell you this too, we had a guest uh, that filled out the guest card online and so I was excited about that and I I think I'm going to try to continue to encourage people to do that every service. And I'll say it here as well, if you're a guest tuning in and you haven't, uh, we don't have your information, uh, I'd encourage you to get on our website, eastsidesf.com, and click along the top, the guest card uh, link there, and it'll take you to a, an online form you can fill out. We sure would have, love to have a record of your visit. And, uh, and then also to our folks, our, our church members, make sure you keep inviting people to the service. Uh, there are two things that I want to encourage you to do before we get in. This won't be as long as it was last week. Uh, But first, I would encourage you to leave reviews on Facebook and Google about the church. And I know that seems strange to ask, and it does take a minute to do it, and you want to say it the right way, but I truly believe that those online statements from people in our church uh, will have increasing influence, especially in a season like this one. So I want to encourage you by Sunday to get online in either Facebook or Google uh, just just make a statement about the church, what you appreciate about the church. And I do believe, especially with everything online and people looking for online services right now, I think that's especially important right now, maybe even more than ever. So by Sunday, I want to encourage you to try to do that. And then also, if you'll view it like this, we always encourage people on their way out the door to take tracks and invite people. And you really can't do that effectively right now. Um, but if you will view an online review in the same way that you would handing someone a tract, and then I think that would help us to view it view it correctly. It's it's a strange request, but remember we're to do what we can do right now, and I do believe that is one thing that we can all get involved in. Second, I would encourage you to ma- remain faithful to giving. Last week I said, you know, when we're getting rid of our Sunday night giving time, I said I think I anticipated a drop in our offerings. And that did happen uh, this past Sunday. And I know the, the snow and, and all of that, everything was a little bit different. But I do think the change in the schedule and the convenience factor of coming, just coming here on Sunday night uh, might have affected some. And I want to encourage you uh, to give either. Give online, call up to the church office if you need help setting that up, or bring it by during the week, or drop it in the mail. Uh, something uh, to be faithful to that, that measure of obedience and I don't say that just because our building and our staff are affected, uh, but we have dozens, literally dozens of missionary families around the world that lean on that support. They require that for their monthly support. And I want to encourage you to be faithful to those things um, because a lot is dependent on that. Okay, just, so those are the reminders as we begin tonight. And looking forward to the service this evening. I'm going to ask you to stand And take a hymnal. If you're at home, uh, we're going to sing In My Heart There Rings a Melody. Those in here, 536. And we're going to sing this song tonight about the joy that salvation brings to us. In My Heart There Rings a Melody. Sing it out on the first. I have a song. I have a song that
1: Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody is a melody of love in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody with heaven's harmony in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody of love i love the christ who died on calvary for he washed my sins away he put within my heart a melody and i know it's there to stay in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody with heaven's harmony in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody of love on the last twill be my endless theme in glory with the angels I will sing twill be a song with glorious harmony when the courts of heaven ring re- In my heart, there rings a melody, there rings a melody, with heaven's harmony. In my heart, there rings a melody, there rings a melody of love.
0: Turn over to song 98 in your hymnals. Song number 98, Jesus Loves Even Me. Sure, I'm thankful for God's love to us. Let's sing it out. 98,
1: Jesus loves even me. I am so glad that our Father in heaven. I am so glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me Jesus loves me I am so glad that Jesus loves me Jesus loves even me Though I forget him and wander away Still he doth love me wherever I stray Back to his dear loving arms I would flee When I remember that Jesus loves me i am so glad that jesus loves me jesus loves me jesus loves me i am so glad that jesus loves me jesus loves even me on the last oh if there's only one song i can sing when in his beauty i see the great king This shall my song in eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus... Sing it out now. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Amen. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Amen. Thank you. Would you take your
0: Bibles now? We're going to jump right in to the preaching. If you're standing, you can remain standing in honor of the reading of the scripture tonight. John 11 is where we're going to be. John 11. And I have a confession to make on Sunday morning, and you wouldn't have seen this in the video, but on Sunday morning, when I started, you know, Easter Sunday, and I had everyone turn to Matthew 28. And I started reading Matthew 27, very first thing I was doing for the day, Easter Sunday, big day of the year, and I started reading Matthew 27, and thanks to uh, Mark Grebel's uh, editing skills, we were able to put uh, the text on the screen, and he cut all that out and just acted like I didn't make the mistake. So, Brother Mark is uh, helping me look good, uh, or at least look as good as I can look in all of this. Um, But I am thankful, and I just want to say, I haven't said it uh, too much, but I want to say those that are putting in the work uh, in the room here, uh, it's a huge blessing, and I can't imagine trying to do this without the help um, of those involved in the video and those involved in the sound, and it really has been a blessing, I know, to many to be able to continue the services like this, and uh, it's not the same, but it sure is a blessing I also want to thank Kath for uh, playing the piano every service, and, and the music is uplifting and helpful, and we need that. We need those hymns. Last week, I preached about Great Is I Faithfulness, and I, I would like to preach some more about the hymns that help us through the dark times, and uh, I think that was, uh, you know, the hymns that we're continuing to do are a huge help uh, to us right now. Don't neglect that resource and so I thank those involved in the music, those involved in the special music that have come in and sung as well. Uh, Diana's special this past week was incredible and thankful for that. And uh, then those involved in the video and sound as well. It's been a real blessing. I appreciate your faithfulness. A lot of hours going in uh, weekly to make this happen. Uh, John 11, and uh, we're gonna, I know you're still standing, we're going to get into it. Uh, We'll start reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 6 and then jump ahead and just read a couple of portions here. This is a very familiar text and uh, one that you'll recognize as soon as we start reading, I'm sure. But John 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Look down to verse 14 says, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So the, his disciples, Jesus and his disciples had had a conversation. And in the course of the conversation, Jesus says to the disciples, some time has passed. He very clearly says, Lazarus is dead. At this point, Lazarus is not just asleep, he's dead. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent that ye may believe, sorry, to the intent ye may believe "...nevertheless, let us go unto him." Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, "...let us also go, that we may die with him." Then, when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and that's between a mile and a half and two miles, so not too far And it gave occasion then for verse 19. It says, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And we're going to look at more of this passage as we go along. But just wanted to read this to you, just, so to set the scene and see how Jesus had different plans for Lazarus than what the people around Lazarus thought Jesus should have. And sometimes... We face a trial or a challenge, and we want to go around it. But Jesus Christ intends for us to go through it. And that's the title of the message tonight, Not Around, But Through. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. I do need your help tonight. Lord, please give me the words and help me to see what, do, what words and what thoughts to convey and, and help, help it to be plain and clear. And I pray that your truth would rise to the top in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In 1980, a lady named Rosie Ruiz was declared the winner of the Boston Marathon with a time of just under two hours and 32 minutes. At that point, at that time, that would have been a female Boston Marathon record, just under two hours and 32 minutes. And so, of course, you you can imagine as she crossed the finish line, she was celebrated. Not only had she won the legendary Boston Marathon, but she had done it in record time. And instant fame was heaped on this previously unknown runner. But as quickly as fame and celebration were heaped on her, doubts also rose. Since she was hardly sweating She was hardly panting at the end of the race. Along the race, none of the spotters remembered seeing her, nor did any of the other runners. She also wasn't in any photographs or in any video footage along the way. So it was a miracle, apparently. Well, eight days later, her title was stripped from her when it was discovered that she had taken a subway to the finish line and had only run the last half mile of the race. And it spawned a very clever t-shirt that read the Rosie Ruiz Track Club, and it had a picture of train tracks instead of running tracks. Rosie Ruiz's name will forever be linked with cheating. She took a shortcut. It's happened in other sports as well, and I don't know how many are follow baseball, but about 20 years ago, baseball was very popular because of players like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. They were hitting long home runs in record amounts uh, every year, and, and it was exciting, and everyone was following it in the late 90s, early 2000s, only though in the next few years to be caught up in a performance-enhancing drug scandal that has prevented... Those men, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and many others from being elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think about a man named Lance Lance Armstrong, one of uh, the great road racing cyclists that we've ever seen. He won the Tour de France seven times before being disqualified after doping allegations in 1999... And some years later, it was concluded that he had used performance-enhancing drugs his entire career. And he was named the ringleader, and this is a quote, of the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program that sport has ever seen. His name will forever be... will be forever connected to cheating. His name will never be respected again. And in these cases, they're all examples of people taking a shortcut to gain a long-term advantage, but returned, but in return getting no long-term benefits. Rosie Ruiz crossed the, the finish line first and she was celebrated, but her name forever is equated with cheater. Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, in the moment they were hitting record home runs, but forever their names will be will be associated with cheating, uh, with taking a shortcut. Lance Armstrong, forever, will be known as a cheater. They had short-term advantages, but no long-term benefits. And it's a good lesson in life in general. If you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to get in shape, taking a shortcut may feel better, and it surely does feel better in the moment. Uh, You get some relief from the pain, but it doesn't help you in the end if your goal is to get in shape or to lose weight. If, if kids, those of you in school, if, if you have schoolwork to do, cheating is never a good option, but it's pretty tempting. It's tempting to take a shortcut and get your work done faster or, or to take a shortcut cut and get a better answer on a test or a quiz, but you're better off learning the material and doing your best in se- instead. A shortcut might get you a better grade in the moment, but you miss out on the goal of learning in the long term at work your approach to your job it can be the same in that you can do the minimum and just do enough to get by or, or you could refuse to take training seriously and not really take any of it seriously just to do what you have to do to get by but you'll have less and you'll have less pressure in the meantime it'll be easier for you but in the end you won't do quality work and you will limit your effectiveness your effectiveness to advance in the company listen it is human nature to want to avoid pain and difficulty. None of us like to hurt. None of us like the difficult moments. We'd rather have something easy than work through something that's hard. And when it comes to challenges, we would rather go around than through. And Mary and Martha and the disciples, they have that lesson to learn here in John 11. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, is very sick. So his sisters send a message to Jesus and they say, behold, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. So obviously, Jesus has great affection for this family. Uh, they, he loves them. It's, it even says later, so they assume by sending a message that Jesus would come and help them. I mean, he would, th- this is a challenge. He's sick. By sending a message, they're thinking that Jesus will come to their rescue and help them go around the trouble. And yet we see something very different in Christ's response. It's interesting how he responds. He responds in three ways in this passage, makes either three statements or by his actions that seem opposite of what we would imagine someone would respond. His first response is in verse 4. After he hears the message that Lazarus is sick, look what he does. It says in verse 4, when Jesus heard that, He said his first the first phrase out of his mouth is this sickness is not unto death. I mean, he goes on to say it's for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified thereby. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But his first phrase, this sickness is not unto death. It almost sounds like Jesus is saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's really not that big of a deal. Have you ever felt like you went to someone with a problem or someone with a challenge and you really kind of poured yourself out to them and they heard it and then they were almost dismissive of your problem, almost like they didn't really catch it or it wasn't a big deal to them. You're trying to make it be a serious moment and yet they almost ignore what you're saying. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say that's what Jesus is doing here, but in some ways it sounds like he's saying, ah, this is no big deal. When in reality, we know that it is a big deal because Lazarus dies. We also learn Jesus has other purposes, though, and we'll get to that later. I mean, in some ways, it sounds almost like people, what people are accusing President Trump of doing um, with COVID-19 when it first became known. And even Fauci this week, he made some statements basically saying if we had acted sooner, there would be fewer that die well, of course that's true. I mean, of course it's true. If we had acted sooner, that wasn't even the point of his statement, but then the media takes in and, and runs with it and makes it seem like President Trump was flipping about it. No big deal. I don't really care. And now look where we are. Now, we also know on the other side of that, it's not, it's not good leadership. It wouldn't have been wise for President Trump to overreact and cause massive panic and And if, especially if it doesn't turn into something significant, I mean, if you look back many authorities, many news outlets, not just president Trump downplayed this at first, it was not a big deal to everybody. It was not on everyone's radar as much as they would have you believe that it was. But when something turns into something big, it's tough. If it seems like somebody downplays how big it is to you. If it's a big deal, if it's a troubling time to you, like Mary and Martha are dealing with their brother and he's nigh unto death and they've a, and they're assuming that Jesus will jump to their aid, but he says, "This sickness is not unto death." So it's a little head scratching. Look at his second response. And this is not so much what he says, but what he does in verses 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So his first response is, ah, it's no big deal if, if they're misinterpreting. His first response, no big deal. His second response, he stays two days longer where he is. And it just doesn't seem right. I mean, it says Jesus loved these three there in in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So, obviously, he loves them, but, but his actions almost lead us to believe he doesn't care. It's almost, he says, yeah, I love them, so I'm not coming. That's almost what he does. That seems like the opposite of love. To most people, when we think that someone has a serious need and we love them, our first move is not to sit down. Our first move is to go to them. You wouldn't say, I love you so much that I'm not going to help you. That's not the way it normally works. No, you would say, I love you so much, I'll be right there. You ever had somebody drop everything for you in your moment of need. They drop everything for you, and they come to your aid when you need them. It's an expression of love. It's, that's how we view love. But we have to assume, though, that there's another way to express love because Jesus Christ is God, and we know he, we know that He loves these people, but He waits. He must have a reason. It seems a little bit like me when when with my children, I've always kind of had this practice. The other day, uh, Jace and Lacey and I, we were in the neighborhood, um, social distancing, of course. And Jace was on his bike, and he was trying uh, to learn how to go over a little jump, okay? Now, and he was his first attempt at jumps, and it was a safe environment. He was coming down in a parking lot, hitting a clump of dirt, and then landing in the grass. And so it was, it was a good, good area for him to learn how to jump on his bike, because every boy has to learn how to jump on their bike. It's like a rite of passage as a boy. So he, he came, and his last time through, he was going really fast, and I was kind of giving him some pointers, and, and he goes over the little mound, and he gets lots of air. I mean, it was, he was really high. Okay, lots of air. But then when he landed, he crashed. And he hurt his leg. I could tell he hurt his leg a little bit. So as soon as he did... He's on the ground. He turns and he looks up at me to see what my reaction is going to be. And parents, you've probably been there before. If you react um, with panic, then the child reacts with panic. But if you simply downplay it and you don't overreact, I think you can teach them some important lessons. So what Jace Jace looked back at me and he looked at me and saw what my reaction was going to be. And I was like, good job on the jump, bud. Now get up, son. You're fine. That's a child training principle right there. I've always had to practice, or at least try to, when something happens to my children or they get hurt or in a minor way or, or they're, you know, something happens where they've got a problem they can't solve and they really need some help. In the moment, very often I'll step back and let them realize they don't need mom and dad to come rescue them every small need that they have. It teaches them some self-sufficiency. If I'm not overreactive, they won't be overreactive and they likely won't cry wolf every time something happens to them. It's a good parenting lesson. In some ways, that's the way I see what Jesus is doing here to Mary and Martha. He doesn't just run to their aid. And this is important for us as children of God to realize that God doesn't always run to our aid every time we ask him for something, because he may have something bigger planned for us. Don't assume that he's like the lawnmower parents that I've talked about before, where they go around and they knock down every obstacle in their child's path so that life is easy and everything is better. No, sometimes Jesus waits Because there's an important lesson for us to learn. There's obviously a bigger reason for Jesus waiting here. He loved them. We know that for sure. But there's something else that he wanted to accomplish. Look at his third response. His disciples, they're talking about Lazarus. Look what he says down in verse 14. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. And he goes on and says, why, to the intent that ye may believe, Uh, nevertheless, let us go unto him. But if if you're just listening to his statement here, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Now, I know he didn't say it that flippantly, but in my mind, I would be thinking, wow, I I know he gives a reason for his action, but if, if I'm not careful, that sounds a little insensitive to hear Jesus say that. I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, it doesn't seem like the right response if you really love somebody. I mean, I've read stories even through all of the ordeal with COVID-19 of, about people that because they're sick, they're quarantined and they're alone in their hospital rooms and their families can't even come in to see them and some are even uh, on their deathbeds and, and they're not allowed to have anybody come in and talk to them. And can you imagine, it just seems wrong to us To have somebody in a situation like that and they're alone and they're passing from life to death, it just doesn't seem right, does it? It, it, Our hearts go out to people that have been in that situation because we would rather be with a loved one when they pass away. But yet, here's Jesus saying, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Consider these responses. He says this illness is not really a big deal. It doesn't, he said it's not going to lead to death. Well, we know he's got something else in plan, plan but that's what it sounds like. He says, I love him, but I'm, I'm not going to go. And he says, Lazarus died, and, and I'm glad I wasn't there. And it sounds insensitive. And it sounds like he doesn't care. But we already read in this passage that he loves these people. He loves Mary and he loves Martha, and he loves Lazarus. So what is going on? Well, look it back at verse four. He says, "This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby." Look at verse 15, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that ye, to the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Do you see that God, Jesus, has something bigger in, plant, in store for this? this circumstance. He's not just going to go and rescue everybody from having to go through something difficult. No, he says plainly, no, this sickness, it's for my glory. And as always, we find out that Jesus has bigger plans than than what we can see. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are greater than ours, than our limited minds can conceive. Jesus has something else at play. He's wanting that, he's wanting this circumstance ...this circumstance to point to God's glory. He, he's wanting God to receive the attention... ...and God, to, the Father, to receive the glory. And in the process, he's also wanting to build their faith... The, ...the intent that ye may believe, he says. He's making one thing very clear... ...to Mary and Martha and the disciples... ...and that is he's saying, I'm in control of this circumstance. This trial that seems overwhelmingly negative to you... ...is well within my capabilities... I can turn this negative into something positive. That's what he's saying. So what does he do? Well, he allows the death to take place so that he can prove his power over it and remind everybody that's watching that there's nothing outside of his control. If he can raise Lazarus from the dead, then that will convince the ones watching they can trust him for anything else. He says that much in verse 14. If Christ had prevented this circumstance, his disciples would have missed out on an opportunity to increase their faith. Think about all the lessons they might have missed if they had gone around this instead of through it. They would have have missed the truth that Jesus knows what he's doing. His timing is always perfect. He's in control of every circumstance. He can turn something bad into something good. If Jesus, has he had healed Lazarus, that would have been a miracle, wouldn't it? It would have been amazing. If Jesus, from where he was, miles away, could have healed Lazarus' body, it would have brought lots of glory to God. It would have been an incredible miracle. People would have been talking about it. They would have been reminded again that Jesus has power over disease. He had done that over and over and over again. Is that a good thing to know? Is it a good thing to be reminded that Jesus has power over a disease? Absolutely. Is it a good thing for us to remember that He is the great physician? Yes, it is. He has power over disease. But let me ask you this it is, is it even a better thing to know that Jesus has power over death? Yes, it is. As good as it is for us to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the great physician, it's even more important for us and important for them to be reminded that he has power over death. Because if he has power over death, there's nothing else we face that he can't handle. Death is our greatest fear. It's our biggest problem. It's enemy number one. The majority of the responses that we're seeing in our country right now are rooted in the fear of death. If Jesus had run to Lazarus, and healed him right away. It would have convinced Mary and Martha that he was strong enough to heal diseases, but he wanted to convince them of something greater. He wanted them to have confidence, not just in his power over disease, but in his power over death. If they had gone around the issue, if they had taken a shortcut, they would have missed that lesson. But by going through the challenge... They learned it firsthand. Going around the obstacle is is understandable. I mean, it's easier. It's quicker. It's less painful. That's our human response. Why would I want to go through something that takes longer? Why would I want to go through something that's harder? Why would I want to go through something that's more painful? Our human response is, take this cup from me. Take this illness. Take the trial. Take the financial hardship, Lord. Take this relationship problem I'm having. Give me a shortcut. It's easier and it's quicker and it's less painful. Take me around it. But going around causes us to miss the lessons that we would learn by going through. And according to this passage, the ultimate expression of love is not to prevent hardship. Love wants what's best, and what's best is not always what's easiest, or what's quickest, or what's less painful. No, Jesus' love for his children is obvious, but listen to this. His actions indicate that what's best for them is not the lessons avoided by going around, but the lessons learned by going through. I'm going to say that again. His actions of love indicate that what's best for his children is not the lessons avoided going around, but the lessons learned by going through. He says in verse 15, To the intent ye may believe. What's best for us is growth of our faith. We don't get that with shortcuts. You don't get stronger without exercise. You don't get smarter without study. You don't get better without practice. You miss all of that if you constantly hope and look for shortcuts. God desires for us to go through because it reminds us that He's in control. It puts us in a position where we have no wisdom, we have no strength, we have no power, and we have nothing left but to turn to Him for help and, we, and when we have no hope but in him, then there is no way that through that situation, anybody but him gets the glory. That's what's happening here. By taking them through the trial, they have no choice but to completely depend on Christ. So how does it play out? Well, I'm going to read a few verses, just because the end of this story is great. Look at verse twenty. It says, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. And that's a good picture of their personalities, it seems. Martha's the action taker. She, she's the one that's going to get out there and get it done. But Mary is sitting still in the house. There's times for both of those folks. Verse 21, then said Mary, Martha sorry, unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She comes right out and says it. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, we could have taken a shortcut. We could have gone around. Verse 22 says, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. It's almost, I do appreciate Martha's level of faith. See, she knows that Christ can. She just doesn't know if he will or not. Verse 23, Jesus responds, saying, uh, saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. He's saying, basically, now that you've gone through it, you've had to experience your brother dying. He's been dead for four days. Now, I'm going to take the opportunity now to show you just how strong I am. Lazarus will rise again. And let me just say this almost as a side note. That he, when when you have a God as strong as ours, when Jesus Christ proves His power over death like He has, you 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 live through death. You go through death. Death just becomes another event in our timeline. It's not the end of anything. We go through, or really, we live through death because we're still alive, and there's a, re- a resurrection on the other side. And Jesus Christ is telling them, "Listen, there." I am the resurrection and the life. And and your brother is going to rise again. Martha says, well, that's great. All of us will. I love again her faith. He'll rise again uh, in that resurrection at the last day. I know he will. And she's expressing great faith. I appreciate that. But she's still missing the point. See, Christ's resurrection doesn't just make a difference in the future. It can make a difference today. And Jesus is saying that. He's saying, my resurrection power applies even to this situation, Martha, not just the future. I will raise your brother again. She doesn't see it. She doesn't get it. She's saying, well, yeah, someday in the future. No, Jesus is saying, no, right now. The resurrection makes a difference today. And here's how. Look at verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. It's almost like Jesus is reminding her, listen, the resurrection doesn't just make a difference in your future. It's already made a difference in your life today. You were dead, Martha, and now you're alive through the faith that you have in me. Salvation is proof that the resurrection makes a difference not just in our future, but in our today. It's not just about tomorrow, it's about today. She was about to find that out even more real, in an even more real way. Look down at verse 32. Here's Mary's response to Jesus. It says, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him the same thing, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Seems to be the response. But I want you to notice Jesus' response to these responses. Look, verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus is stricken with grief himself. And there's debate about his reason for groaning. Some say, well, he was groaning because he's sympathetic and they're mourning. Uh, Others are saying, and I believe that's part of it. But others will say, well, he is groaning because they're not getting the picture here. They're not seeing the point. They're not understanding that Jesus Christ is here. And if we'll simply have faith in his plans, there's nothing he can't do. I believe there's probably some of that as well. Look at verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Verse 37, and some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? And then Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself. So they're saying the same things everybody else is saying. Jesus is weeping, and I don't believe he's just weeping because he feels sympathy for them. I believe he's weeping because they're not getting it. They're not seeing that this is all part of his plan and that he is capable and he's able. And they're still saying, you know what? If Jesus had just been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And his response to that is further groaning. He's stricken with grief. They're saying if only Christ was powerful enough to take Lazarus around the obstacle. That's what they're saying. If only Jesus Christ had been here to help us go around this to get around it, to not have to go through it. If we could have just gone around it, that would have been better. And they still don't understand that his plan was not to go around. His plan was to take them through it. It grieves Jesus that his people don't think enough of his love. That they think, well, his love is, to prove your love, you've got to be here to help us go around the trouble. Because if you really loved us, you wouldn't let us go through the trouble. They're still not getting it. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? So Martha still doesn't get it. Jesus has to remind her that if she would simply believe, she could get a full glimpse of the glory. Because what he's about to do, you don't want to miss it. And I'm going to read these verses because they culminate one of the great stories in the Bible. And then we'll wrap this up. Look at it, it says, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And it's almost and I don't I don't know. I, I know this isn't probably what he means, but it's almost like I'm trying to tell these people an important message. And he says, but father, at least you're hearing me. And I know he's talking about prayer, but in some ways, that's how I see this whole story come about. Jesus is trying to make a point, and it seems like the only one that really sees it clearly is the Father. Verse 42, And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe thou, that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. And you would think that's the end of it. They all got it. They all saw the glory of God. They saw Jesus Christ's power taking them through the obstacle, not just getting around it, except that verse 46 is also included. And it says, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Wow. Wow. Jesus is making good on his promise to point all eyes to God that God would receive all the glory that he deserves. He knows that in the end the best thing is for people to increase their faith in God and some people still don't get it. Jesus Christ wants to help them grow in their, love, in their faith and he wants to do it by showing them his, them his love and power and some of them still missed it. I mean, If he had given them the shortcut they were asking for they would have missed out on everything. Listen, we may be looking for a way around this. But God intends for us to go through. He's not interested in easier. He's not interested in quicker. He's not interested in less painful. He's interested in putting us in a situation where we have to trust Him. Because it's too big. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay where we are spiritually. He wants us to take us from where we are to the next spiritual level. And folks, we are facing difficulties. Let me give you a list of the subjects of phone calls I've gotten just this week from church members. Job loss. Coronavirus symptoms getting tested. Marriage struggles. Sin addictions. Fear and anxiety. Financial hardships. Terminal illness. It's hard. It's difficult. But we have to battle the thought that God doesn't love us because he hasn't provided a shortcut around. No, instead assume God does love us because he's providing an opportunity to grow by taking us through. And you think, well, it's just not fair that we have to go through the struggle and the hardship and the trial. But let me remind you of this. God's own son had to go through. He prayed in a garden and he said, if it be thy will, Father, let this cup pass from me. Please. Because it was going to be painful, and it was going to be hard, and it would be difficult. And yet his own father said, no, you have to go through. Can you imagine what we would have missed if he had gone around? We would have missed eternal life. Listen, that's, this is how God works. And knowing that, means he doesn't leave us to do it by ourselves. If it's his plan for his children to go through and not always go around, then he holds our hand through it. We have his strength because we have none. We have his grace because we're at the end. We have his wisdom because we don't know anything. We have his help because we can't help ourselves. If he can take us through death, there's nothing else that he can't walk us through. I'd hate to get through a season of potential faith building like this and realize I spent the whole time asking for a shortcut, asking for a way around, rather than asking God to teach me lessons that will grow my faith going through. Based on your trajectory, will you be closer or further away from God when all this is over? See if your answer is further then this season will be missed on you. You'll be one of the Jews saying, "If only he had prevented Lazarus from having to die and then missing the fact that Lazarus walked out of the grave." Folks, if Jesus Christ can take us through death, he can take us through job loss. He can take us through the coronavirus. He can take us through our marriage struggle. He can take us, give us victory over a sin addiction. He can help us through fear and anxiety. And he can help us in our financial hardships. And he can take us through even terminal illness because death is not the end. It's something we go through. Folks, let me just remind you that Jesus Christ, if he has power over death, he has power not to just find you a way around it, but to find you a way through it. We need to stop looking for ways around and accept that sometimes God's plan takes us through. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.